بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد we express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and many more and many more so as we were speaking the other day <coughs> we were looking at this ayah that I will pull up for all of you for your edification should I talk in you know NPR voice and sound really happy and liberal you know so can you all see the screen with the with the ayah yeah so we talked about the first part when my servants ask about you ask you about me then i am near tell them i am near or i am near yeah. and i answer the call of the caller when they calls and this is where I want to start our today's discussion. In I don't know, it doesn't look like Tausif is here. Uh, Asim. Um, who is this speaking to, right? Because it's in the second person. So he says, when my servants ask you about me, is this directed to the prophet or is this directed to humanity? So this is in terms of original context, it's speaking to the prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. In an actual conversation where companions were asking him, where is God? And they were probably being asked as a consequence, you know, like, where is God? Where is Allah? And I mean, and related to your question, it's also reminding me that if we look at the evolution of religion in Mecca, originally it's monotheism, one God. Prophet Ibrahim, peace be upon him, Hajar, peace be upon her, their son Ismail. And then over the generations, about nine generations before the Prophet, peace be upon him, idol worship gets introduced until it gets institutionalized all across Mecca by the time the Prophet is born. So every tribe has an idol. There are idols for different purposes. God has daughters. There's a whole infrastructure of their religion. But the reason given for why idol worship was introduced is that Amr ibn Lu'ayy is traveling in Syria on business and he notices people worshiping idols. Why are you worshiping these idols? They help us get closer to God. And so part of the psychology of idol worship is that the supreme being is distant. In theory, the idols represent the supreme being, but if we actually think of its practice, the supreme being is distant, and this proximal reflection, this avatar of the Supreme Being is right before me. So it fits even more that I am near, right? I am not far away. Okay, on that note, any other questions related to any of this on anyone's mind? Asim, um, class participation points go to Asim. Yes. So so this, uh, this first sentence of it then does it apply to us? Because that's that's always kind of been a, a thing that we've discussed, right? Is that like when a like there are ayats where the where where God's talking to the prophet, there are ayats where he's talking to us and things like that. And so mm. should we take this as a call to us? When my servants ask you about me, tell them that I am near. I think it works, right? Uh, <clears throat> a way to think about this is if we remove the addressee, what is the ayah about? So 
there are conditional instructions here. If you're getting this question, here's the answer. Okay. And then here's some more. You know, I answer the call of the caller. And then there is a sort of instruction at the end. Okay. Let them then answer my call. So consistently from start to finish, at least it's speaking about uh, the servants of God. But the you being addressed here can be you, you know, in the thing, it's grammatically singular. But I don't know how much it changes things if we say it is or it isn't. In contrast to a command that is given to the children of Israel versus a command that's given to all oh, you who believe, then we can say there's a difference, right? Shala. I just wanted to um, say that this reminds me of, um, it made me think of a movie that I saw many, many years ago. You might have heard of it. It's a Persian movie called The Color of Paradise. Yes, yes, exactly. Like it was about this boy who wants to see God, right? He's a blind boy and he wants to see God and he's searching for God and everything. And he hears, you know, nature sounds in nature. And basically he's searching, but he's so close. You can get the sense that he's so close to God um, in his search. Mm -hmm. I think that's a perfect reference here. Yeah. And uh, it's a good movie for all of you to see. It's a kid's movie. Right. Directed by Majid Majidi, like something like 1999. You no, know, maybe a little bit later. Yeah. Very good example. Any other thoughts, reflections, questions? Okay, then let's get into this next part. I answer the call of the caller when <clears throat> he calls. And so, first thing, and this is what I think Tosif was touching on the other day, is the text technically does not say, I answer the call of the Muslim caller. I answer the call of the caller. How does it make you feel if this is not, I answer the call of the Muslim caller, but I answer the call of any caller? Do you feel that it is unfair? I'm the one who does all this work. What do you feel? And I'm going to extend it to the question of, although it's not in this ayah, the question of, you know, can non-Muslims go to paradise? We're not going to answer that question. But if we say yes, if we say yes, non-Muslims can go to paradise, how does it make you feel? Thoughts? I feel happy that if someone calls out for the truth, Allah will find them. Sure. Very nice. Hurram. I believe in the in the next uh, sentence it says so they should respond to me so it's pretty much uh, uh, a lot of things are packed into that they should respond to me so it means if if anyone call, uh, calls to Allah right or seeks Allah um, if or non-Muslim so there is some sort of interaction between Allah and and that person so it depends upon that person that how that person responds to that or how that person understands that. But so, it doesn't say it that way. Like if it said, you answer my call and then I will answer your call, then I think your argument works. But here it's saying, I answer the call. So you should answer mine too. Meaning if you don't answer my call, I still answer the call. See what I'm saying? Hmm. Like the, the, the point you're making, Khuram, is, okay, if Allah is answering your call, then 
here you have to answer Ella's call too. But if you don't, it doesn't mm. mean Ella stops answering your call. Mm. So. Awesome, Stephanie, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I think that this this is sort of uh, consistent with the idea of Rahma, right? <coughs> um, and I mean, it also, I think it, it, it makes me feel really a lot more comfortable because it means that like it, it makes dawah a lot easier okay explain right so it's it, the call of the caller is answered and therefore they don't have to be muslim before their call is answered okay mm-hmm. and therefore like then uh it makes it almost makes it like if if you're really taking dawah seriously then your your job is to turn someone into a a caller rather than a Muslim, like turn someone into someone who's seeking God rather than specifically turn them into a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And then like, Allah, like, like it's almost like a pact, like Allah will take care of the rest. if mm-hmm. it's meant to be. Because it's not dawah ilal Islam. It's dawah ilallah. Right. Dawah ilal Islam is you're calling people to Islam, but we're actually calling people to God. Right. And, and uh, I may be opening a can of worms that you don't want open here. When have I ever not wanted a can of worms open? You know me well. Yeah, go for it. Uh, but uh, this, this also goes to a point that I think I've heard you make before about uh, the difference between Muslims and believers. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that also sort of uh, go, like, it doesn't answer the question, but it, it implies an answer to whether uh, non-Muslims can go to heaven as well. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pull up this uh, reference, but while I'm doing this, um, Stephanie. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam This reminds me of um, calling back to uh, Surah Fatiha and Surah Baqarah, how the Fatiha is, you know, guide me, and then uh, the Quran is guidance for the muttaqin. Um, and I don't exactly remember the details, but I just remember you um, in previous iterations uh, talking about how um, the Quran guides and it, um, you know, others will not be guided, but if the person is making an effort, then God responds. Mm-hmm. And I probably messed all that up. So no, that was all good. So basically you're saying uh, the Quran may guide you, may misguide you. But if you are seeking Allah, Allah will guide you. Inshallah. Sarah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum as Hopefully you are safe because I'm fear you're driving right now. I am paying attention to the road. Um, but what I wanted to say was this um, part of the ayah reminds me of our discussion about whether um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the same across the board. Like when people are praying to God, are they praying to the same person? And, or I'm sorry, same being as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think this could go into the pro category of the it is all the same God, then like there isn't making, there isn't in this ayah specification that, you know, 
it's specifically talking about the Muslim or the Muslim. Um, it's literally just talking to whomever is praying to him, and with mm-hmm. like the good intention, I suppose, of actually reaching out and asking Allah for guidance or help, then he'll respond to it. So, so I would suggest. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. No, no, that's it. I was okay. going to say I think it. Um, it mm, can go in the pro category of yes, I believe they are all the same God. So I would suggest what's built into this ayah is, number one, there's a couple of principles here which intellectually are easy to accept. Practically, may or may not be easy. One is that Allah is free to answer whomever he wills, which includes if someone is praying to a tree, that Allah is free to answer that question as well. See what I'm saying? So even if we say everyone is fundamentally praying to the same one, suppose you have someone who's praying to a rock, that Allah is also free to respond to that. The second, if Allah answers someone else's prayer, his wealth is not diminished. He still has infinity wealth to answer my prayer, infinity bounty to answer my prayer. Because what makes this hard a lot of times from the perspective of many believers is that if Allah is giving to all these other people and I have to put in all this effort, then there's going to be less left for me. No, that out of his infinity of bounty, number one, he can answer whomever he wills, even if I'm not even praying to a rock, I'm asking a doctor, hey, you know, can you help me with this? And Allah can answer that if Allah wills. And then second, he still has infinity bounty if he gives this person all the wealth of the world. And, and so this is a commitment to that Allah is giving. He responds to the call of the caller. <clears throat> and hold on. So I'm thinking, I'm, uh, I'm thinking from the point of view of a non-Muslim um, because we are all Muslims here, right? So we, I, mean, so, I don't know. I don't know if we all are, but I think most of us are at least. Yeah. Okay. So, so from the, so I cannot. It's very hard for me to put myself in the shoes of non-Muslim. Sure. Uh, when in reference to like, uh, like Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So basically, if 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 a non-Muslim or he has a, some sort of yearning that he is see he he he's he's looking. Uh, uh, or he's seeking help from from some God, so he's definitely seeking some person who knows God, right? So yeah. that 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 equation can comes that a, a servant comes to you means maybe he's going to a pope or priest or not pope, sorry priest, yeah. or some other like a, a religious person. So maybe that equation can work, or or that is the path for that person to learn about God. Actually, uh, that will then. Uh, uh, that, that equates, we can say that equates to that they should respond to me and have faith in me that he needs to have some sort of journey towards learning about me or understanding about me. Yeah, yeah that's the last part of the last part of this. Yes. Right. That is what the person should be doing. You know, um, Olfat, were you going to say something? Okay. No. All right. So, so, but what do you all think of this point that uh, that Allah may even answer the call to something that is not even anyone pretending is Allah. 
like someone talking to a doctor, I'll let me answer that call. Or someone talking to a rock, I'll let me answer that call. Any thoughts? How does it make you feel? Shalom. I just wanted to ask, where did you get that idea from this uh, surah? Or are, are, are you just um, hypothetically speaking? So I'm saying here that Allah is, he's choosing to whom he will respond, right? And here he's saying he responds to the call of the caller. But the caller is not necessarily calling on me. See what I'm saying? So and doesn't it say, it says when he prays to me. So that, uh, let's see, the Ani. So, so here we can say there, that point, right? The Ani. But I'm saying he has the freedom to not do that or the freedom to go beyond that. What do you think of that as a concept? So even let's say, okay, let's say, uh, skip this IR for a second. Uh, we all agree that Allah has the freedom to answer whomever, who, whose call, uh, any request he wants, right? I think we all agree on that. And he has infinite bounty. So I'm saying, if we say that Allah has a freedom to call on, uh, to respond to anyone's call, and he wills to call, or to respond to the call of people who are not even calling on him, as a favor to them. Thoughts? I hope I'm not being too confusing. Stephanie. Well, A, it shows that he's very merciful and generous. And B, it um, he knows uh, everything about us. So he knows what um, our capacities are at different stages in our lives, perhaps. Maybe um, if I'm growing up in a Christian household, then strengthening my Christian faith at that time is better for me and will lead me to a life that discovers uh, Islam later or makes me a better person or, you know, he knows, he knows what's better for me. Um, so I don't know. That's where I'm going with your mm -hmm. query. Sarah. Um, I am wondering, um, by the way, you're phrasing this question. If you like want us to feel, um, like affronted or, um, like, you know, upset or like, why does it all matter? Why do we have to believe that he can defend Pleases, but I don't think any of those things. Um, I feel like um, lost my train of thought, but I feel that. Um, oh, honestly, in instances like this, I feel like the hikmah of Allah, the wisdom that he has, is outside of my ability to really understand sometimes and okay. like i'm okay with that as like a reason okay all right okay so let me rephrase the whole conversation some of you uh Shella. um so i think that some people might have like a limited 
you know, ability. Like if we think about even nowadays, right? Like their idea of God. And I think that the basically what you're saying is so these people that call upon something, right? They're they're having to submit themselves to something to say there is something greater than me. And, you know, maybe it's this rock, right? But they're saying there's something that's greater than me. And that's a, that puts them in a different class from the people that reject, right? Mm-hmm. That say, I'm above anything else around me, anything that exists, and I'm not going to submit, right? Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, they're submitting, they're a bit misguided in what they're submitting to, but they are trying to submit. And so Allah is rewarding them for mm-hmm. trying to submit to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now we're, now we're getting closer to, to what I'm framing. Although I wouldn't necessarily even use the word rewarding, that he's still answering, right? Or even think of the act of asking, you know, um, it's basically you are turning to someone who has the ability that you believe to answer what you are seeking. Okay. Even if it is, you know, me telling my kid, hey, go get me a glass of water. Okay. I mean, the power dynamic there is I'm the authority. Well, not this world. But anyway, so the, the, the point being that uh, I am believing that my child has the ability to give me what I'm seeking. Okay. Um, so there is an expression of some sort of need or want. But then when we're talking about this type of pious request, then there's also the, the understanding of some superiority. So let's do it this way. <clears throat> some of you have gone through the prayer of the heart and the prayer of the tongue exercise with me, but to put everybody on the same page, because this is relevant to, to this ayah, that suppose I have a regular corporate job, which I've had for so much of my life, and I'm running late for work, and I'm driving on the road, full focus, as fast as I can. My Prius is going at full speed, right? Which is like 45 miles an hour. So I'm going as fast as I can. And I'm praying to Allah, Ya Allah, get me to work on time. Get me to work on time. Get me to work on time. Okay. How many of you have gone through the prayer of the heart, prayer of the tongue exercise with me? Okay, not many remember it. Okay, or not many of it. Okay, perfect. So... I'm praying to Allah, give me to work on time. And I, to get to work on time, it's nine o'clock. Let's say I get to work at 8.58. Was my prayer answered? Seems like my prayer was answered, right? I asked to get to work at nine. I got to work at 8.58. Okay. If I get to work at 9.01, does it sound like my prayer was answered? Prayer in my tongue was not. Hey, who is Alex's phone, by the way? Because uh, you've been in the class much since the beginning. Oh, snap. Okay, Alex, you're in there. Uh, a couple forms. Okay. So if I get to work at 8.58, seems like my prayer was answered. If I get to work at 9.01, seems like the prayer was not answered. Okay. But that's the prayer of my tongue. And the promise regarding the prayer of my tongue is either Allah will give me what I'm asking for, or instead, he's going to remove a burden from my life. This is in the hadith. Or he's going to give it to me in the akhirah, in, the, in, in, the, in paradise, and I will wish all the prayers were answered in paradise. That's the prayer of the tongue. Okay. Now, <clears throat> that's one concept, prayer of the tongue. Another a second concept to consider, every single thing you ask for, every single thing you do related to God or not, 
is an interpretation of what your heart is seeking. So a way to figure out in the context of prayer, what your heart is seeking is to ask yourself, why do I want this? So why do I want to get to work on time? Anybody? So you don't get fired? So I don't lose, so I don't, let's say even before that, so I don't get in trouble. So if I get to work at 9.01, but nobody notices that I'm late, was my prayer answered? The prayer of the tongue was not, because I want to get to work at 9 o'clock. The prayer closer to my heart was answered. So, because I didn't get in trouble. Why don't I want to get in trouble? Because I don't want to lose my job. So let's say I get to work at 9.01. I get caught. I get written up. But I don't lose my job. Prayer of my tongue answered. One step closer to my heart. No, because I didn't want to get in trouble. I got in trouble. Another step even closer to my heart. I didn't want to lose my job. Answered. So... Why do I want to get to work on time? Because I don't want to get in trouble, because I don't want to lose my job, because I don't want to lose my income, because I don't want to everything to fall apart in my life. And as you get deeper and deeper and deeper, you're getting closer to what your heart is actually seeking. But the prayer you're making in any given moment is an your own interpretation of what your heart is seeking which then means it is also affected by all those layers and filters that might be implanted around your heart. And very often, what your actual prayer is, is, oh, Allah, give me mercy. And my interpretation of how to receive that mercy is if you get me to work on time. So the prayer of the tongue is different than the prayer of the heart. The prayer of the heart is always answered. And I'll give you a silly version of this that is 100% real going on 30 years. So I drive a lot, right? Because my commute is whatever. And frequently, I'm cruising through a yellow light. And this is, this is Wallahi, this is 100% true. So I hope it'll still be true today. But um, that uh, whenever I'm at a yellow light, that I'm praying to Allah, Ya Allah, please have mercy on me, please have mercy on me, please have mercy on me. It has never turned red in 30 years, except one time. And one time, I decided not to ask. Okay. And Wallahi, it turned red. Okay. I'm saying in 30 years of asking, Wallahi, 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 even the yellow light just seemed to go on forever. Maybe it didn't, but that's the feeling. Never turn red. Awesome. Um, so this, that's a really interesting exercise. Uh, but I also, I think that one of the most powerful moments for me personally in my life was a prayer of the tongue answered within like seconds. Mm. Uh, and if, I, I don't know if it's like. Too I'm sure. Share, but uh, my, I mean, so, assuming it's not like obscene, you know. No, it's not. It's it was um, my my wife was go was flying to visit her parents, and she was going to tell her parents that she was becoming Muslim, and 
she got to the airport just like late, you know, Chicago traffic or whatever. She got to the airport really late and she called me and told me, I don't know if I'm going to make my flight. So I hung up the phone and I literally out loud, I said, yeah, love, she's meant to tell her parents right now that she's going to become a Muslim. Just get her on the flight somehow. And literally within five seconds, she texted me and said, flight just got delayed. Mashallah. And I don't, you know, like, of course, then, you know, naysayers will say, oh, it's not related. That was going to happen anyway or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's like, it's a very powerful moment to feel like the very thing you asked for was just put on a silver platter for you within mm-hmm. like, like, all, like within a second, you mm-hmm. know, almost, it, it almost felt in a sense, it almost felt like, uh, like the way, like, kings get what they want mm. you know what i mean it was it it probably in my like sort of r- religious experience it's one of the most powerful moments i've ever had mm-hmm. oh, so thank you for sharing so this is the prayer of the heart and the prayer of the tongue and and the point here is that the prayer of the tongue is always or the prayer of the heart is always answered and the prayer of the heart is often something very simple, something almost existential. Nader. Yeah, um, I have a, like a few questions. You're, you'll probably answer them pretty quick, but um, is the prayer of the heart always a prayer for mercy? You said that it's... No, no it's not. How can you like so, make sure that you are making... So, the fundamental actual prayer of the heart 100% of the time is ya allah bring me closer to you not necessarily in those words inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un we are from allah and to him is the return that the fundamental yearning of the heart 24/7 is to return to allah but what happens is as you are being raised in life, and you all might have seen this, this drawing from me. Um, can you see the one note on the screen? So, so this drawing I do many times. So here's your heart, mashallah. Nather's beautiful heart on the screen, so beautiful, okay? And so we have irada. This is your core yearning, your core yearning is return to Allah. This is the core yearning 24-7 of the heart. But what happens is you're being taught as you grow up how to live life, how to navigate life. You're being taught behavior. And so this need, innate need, this incomplete need that cannot be fulfilled except by getting closer to Allah, you may start to misinterpret to become a different need. So you might interpret it as loneliness. Or you might interpret it as hunger even though you're physically not hungry. And that is the equivalent of forming layers around the heart or filters around the heart that are sort of like you have 20-20 vision and then you put on a pair of glasses that are, 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 are clean and have no prescription, but it's still going to affect your vision a little bit. And then you're adding more 
as you're being taught more behavior. So it's like you're putting on top of those zero prescription glasses, you're putting another prescription, another zero prescription glass and you're obstructing your vision even more. Okay. And then on top of that, you might have learned yourself ways to, for example, respond to a traumatic incident okay. as a self-protection mechanism. So the other day, Olfot asked about, about like the filters around the heart. And what I suggested is that each one of these filters is actually you pushing back uh, from getting closer to Allah. That's what each of these filters is. So is it, is it better to, like you said, that when you uh, had those yellow lights, you would just pray for mercy rather than to pass the light? Like, is it better to just not pray for, like, the outward stuff and go straight for, pray for it? No, you pray for it all. Pray for it all. Yeah. And so so then you have, so the green line I'm here is saying, you know, responses that you have turned, you have, that have turned into habits, responses to perceived and real trauma. And I'll give you a micro version. A micro version is you're talking to someone on the phone, you're about to cross the street, and this car, this bus honks so loud that it shakes you. But now every time you're about to cross the street, you look. So, so you're being taught behavior. And so you may have multiple of those as you're getting older and older in life. And then you have just the general consequences of your own choices which may not be always the healthiest choices. So for me, you know, I'm a very large person in the wrong way. And 90% of my food is that, you know, that causes this ridiculous obesity is because I eat out of boredom in the car. And it's become such a habit that I forget it's a habit. But Ramadan is awesome. But it's such a habit that... I forget that it's a habit. And so all of these things become filters, like putting non-prescription glasses on top of non-prescription glasses on top of non-prescription glasses. And then another thing to add is every time you commit a sin, what color will we make this? We'll make this, this color. You're also adding dots of, sorry, I don't have black here, dots of blackness on your heart which is now the equivalent of putting smudges on those glasses, which is obstructing your vision more, which is then obstructing your choices. And so we're saying in your heart, the actual core yearning of everything you're seeking is return to Allah. But in terms of the core, just around that, very often you're just asking for simple things like mercy. Make sense? Yeah. Okay, that was your first question. What about your second question? Um, I think you you touched on the rest of them, so I think I'm good for now. Thanks. Okay. So the process of purification, the process of dazkia, is essentially the process of seeking to remove these filters. And the ultimate is to even remove the boundaries of your heart. And in fact, if I show you this to you in a different way, let's see if I can bring all this back. Okay, nice. So another way to look at this is 
your acts of worship and your acts of seeking forgiveness is to remove all the, the, the rust, the darkness on your heart. So all that stuff goes away. But then the act of purification, which includes behavior modification. So it's very similar to therapy, but with a different model of the person is then to remove all of these boundaries around your heart. And as you're getting closer to Allah, to remove all limitations. So all you are is your irada. So then like relating that back to dua, which is where this conversation started, is sure. that the dua is that you're making is just a reflection of this kind of drawing that you just put out in front of us. Yeah. So imagine when you're lifting up your hands, think of it two ways. What is this symbol? I'm basically saying, you know, give me anything, right? And a way to think of this symbol is, is essentially, hold on. A way to think of this symbol is what? It's like I'm holding a mirror up to my heart. So the dua you make, for example, at the end of prayer is basically a reflection of what's in your heart. And if you make no dua, no prayer after your, your five daily prayers, that's a reflection of the condition of your heart in that moment. doesn't mean it's empty, but you're not asking for anything, which means you don't feel any need. And our whole essence is this need, this need to return to God. Make sense? Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thanks. Ahant and Khuram. So my question is, in terms of like relating to this ayah, if you make, the, you know, the dua like in a state of anger or in a state of uh, frustration, um, should you be worried that like, you know, like that would be answered? Yes. And, and this is assuming that you're not being oppressed. Correct. Okay. But even when you're making a prayer not in a state of anger, you should ask Allah to make it easy. Easy for what? For you. The answer to be easy for you. Because you may ask for something, the answer of which, okay, so what's so a way to imagine the process of, of a prayer getting answered? You make the request. Okay, so your heart is yearning something. You're interpreting what your heart needs. Okay? And then you're making the request. Okay? And, and so now you've made the request. Allah has sent at least an angel to make the prayer answered. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right? What if your prayer is to become stronger? Let's say, let's, what if your prayer is for Allah, is you want to become closer to Allah? Give you an example. Somebody, okay, for the last few days was essentially making these prayers to get closer to Allah. And Saturday, no, what day is it today? Monday? Wednesday, somebody broke into my car. Okay, Related? Maybe, maybe not. I'm illustrating that's related. Okay. Stole a bunch of stuff. I actually think it was probably a cop, but an FBI agent. I mean, there's a whole story behind that. But anyway, so, which we can share another time. Because 
because I never leave my door unlocked. This could be one of the rare times my door is unlocked. He didn't actually break into my car. Okay. He, she, whatever. So that was Wednesday, Saturday, driving on Lakeshore Drive, my car broke down. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is what I asked for. I asked for Allah to bring me closer. And so it's happening. And I have to go through all the, the, the following struggles and such. So the point is that when, you know, let's say I'm making this prayer, I'm doing this adhkar, these vicars for Allah to become closer to Allah. Angels are getting dispatched. And how is the angel making it happen? By giving me difficulty. And so thus, when you are praying for something, also pray for it to be easy. So yes, you should definitely be concerned when you are making a prayer in anger because all the prayers are being answered. But even when you're making a prayer, just what is a seemingly simple prayer, like, you know, make me stronger, bring me closer to you, then either be ready for the method that will be used. Because I, even when the, when, you know, I discovered my car was broken into, uh, I was thinking, all right, the way this stuff works in terms of spiritually, sometimes you're hit with a test. That was a pretty small test. So sometimes you're hit with a small test to prime you for a bigger test. And I wasn't thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? I was thinking, I wonder if this is a primer for a bigger test. And that's exactly what happened. Could be the car breaking down might be a primer for an even bigger test. But the point is that when you are making a prayer, uh, you are also then embracing whatever method Allah gives for it to be answered. Make sense? Yeah. And this reminds me of, you know, I'm not sure if it's a like hadith or um, uh, some sort of a uh, narration of the prize predecessors, but yeah. like, isn't there like, you know, uh, three ways that dua is answered? Um, he, uh, you know, uh, he either grants it like to you, he, he delays it, or he gives you something else. Does that sound? Yeah, meaning either he gives you what you're asking for, or he removes a burden. Or he gives it to you in the Akhirah. He gives it to you in the end times. There might be another narration that says he gives you something else, which would fit our point about the, the prayer of the heart and the prayer, you know all the layers between the, the, the tongue and the heart. And so, so when you say he removes a burden, so let's say, um, you know, you know, I asked for a Lamborghini, right, and then I don't get the Lamborghini. Is that a like, is that saying that Lamborghini, like, would have been a burden, like, you know, you know, you know for me? It can be. I mean, that is its own level, which is to truly believe that everything that's happening to you is a mercy and is the greatest, is like the best thing to happen to you. That's when you're getting closer to the stage of being pleased with whatever God gives you. Because that's essentially what you want. You want to be at the stage of Rida, you know, where you're just happy with whatever God gives. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and then Yeah, this it, it was a very good discussion. Actually, my my thoughts were 
covered pretty much in that discussion. Okay. Um, couple of uh, say, I, I will most probably be repeating that. So we have a, uh, a pair of the tongue and a pair of the heart. Yeah. So so based on the diagrams, we we have a certain condition of the heart. We our heart will be at the certain state, right of the clarity, mm-hmm. uh, from extreme to and based on that, our uh, so between our heart and our tongue, pair of the heart and the pair of tongue is our mind actually. So most probably at some point, my our mind or our will not be consciousness will not be conscious of the whatever heart is seeking or may not understand it, right? Because of all those filters, mm-hmm. and and our response uh, based on our uh, the prayer of our tongue and how it will be fulfilled may may respond like erratically or differently mm-hmm. or based on the whatever we understood, but mm-hmm. our heart is. Is seeking something else, mm-hmm. or uh, so? So yeah, so that sort of thing. Olfat. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple of things. One is a comment, and then a question. The comment is uh, regarding uh, being careful what we pray for. So I I heard before, don't pray for patience, pray pray for ease. I'm very careful not to do that. And then now you're talking about closeness to Allah and how that could manifest. And it starts getting very scary, <laughs> the du'as that we make. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're also never going to be hit with anything you can't handle. I don't know if that causes one person calm or another person anxiety, but yeah. No, I mean, I kept thinking, oh, this could have been so bad. Like, uh, I mean, where my car broke down was a super high traffic area, right? And, uh, I mean, I could have been hit really hard. There could have been just that one person who's texting and bam, it's over. You know, this Quran class ends unless someone else picks it up, you know? And so, so, uh, uh, half of my thoughts were basically, Oh man, this could have been so rough because the whole day was a wild day. I mean, so I get interviewed by the student a couple of weeks ago for a student project about Ramadan and colleges. Turns out it's NPR. And I find out that's NPR that morning because she said, oh, thank you for being in this art- helping me with this article. Okay, great start to the day. The reason I'm driving to campus is because I was supposed to get this award. Yeah. And so do, 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 do. I'm gonna get this award, I'm gonna get this award. And then car breaks down. Okay, so now I can't get this award. And so at first I thought, oh, this is, this is humbling me. Oh, my car has broken down. Right. This is this is really requiring me to turn to Allah. And then that evening, the reason we didn't have class is because a student of mine, Awesome's friend, was announcing he was running for office, like political office. And I'm thinking, I can't go. This is too much. This is too complicated. But then I realized this particular kid who might even be in class right now. I don't know if he's here. um, Is that one type of guy who shows up for anybody, for any need, any time, any place, anywhere? which he's also done for me in my life. And I thought, okay, I absolutely have to go for him. Yeah. And, you know, went, went to his thing and because he wanted me to speak at his, at his uh, announcement. And then he gave me a ride home. So we got to spend, you know, a couple uh, you know, quite a bit of time together. The day was actually a wonderful day. It was exhausting. But the point is that um, the humbling that Allah put upon me um, and the reliance that Allah forced upon me was not really that difficult, but it was very clear. So, so yeah, it can be scary, but the point, because I've been through this before, where I've asked Allah, bring me closer to you, and then bam, 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 everything just falls apart. 
And, and so I've also known having gone through this, yeah, I'm going to get through this. I have to go through all the required steps. So once you do it a couple of times, it's not as scary. Inshallah. But you had a follow-up point. Yes. Um, the, uh, regarding the op open hands when we're uh, making dua, I thought it was like receiving light or blessings from Allah. That's yeah. why we also kind of like wipe our bodies. But you're saying mirror of the heart. Both. I didn't understand that part, I guess. Oh. So imagine I'm holding a, a, a mirror right here, right? And so it's, you know, it's basically reflecting what my heart is seeking. I mean, that's more of a metaphor. Both of these are metaphors, right? Yeah, and so on the one hand, a dua, a prayer is a request. It's a supplication. It's a petition to God. And at the same time, it is also reflecting how much do I feel that I am in need and if I'm not praying for anything, I'm effectively saying I'm not in need. Shala. So in most of these examples, um, they haven't been too much about behavior modification, right? So like, you know, if I'm praying to lose weight, and I say, oh Allah, to lose weight, but then I don't actually take an action to do that, then, you know, is that just a really showing that I'm not really sincere mm. in my prayer mm. or, um, you know, like if I want to, if I'm having trouble waking up for Fajr and I say, Oh Allah, wake me up, you know, and then I don't do anything to, you know, follow up on that or, you know, be on time for work or whatever that is. What, how does that factor in? Sure. So, so let's see if I can get this. Um, Okay, so there's a famous hadith narrated by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, which is narrated super frequently that if you see if you see something wrong, change it with your hands. And if you can't change it with your tongue, and if you can't then feel bad about it in your heart. And that is the weakest of faith. And we speak of this in the context of wrongs in society, injustices in society, that if you see something wrong, change it with your hands, physically change it. If you can't, then speak against it. And if you can't, then feel bad, feel that it's, that's wrong in your heart. This is also a statement about your inner condition. That, if there's something wrong in you, then change it with your hands, meaning change it with your behavior. Okay. Change it with your tongue means dua. That is not as strong as changing behavior. And less than that is basically feel bad. It's the same point in terms of your internal reform. Make sense? Yes, but I think also some of the, um, you know, deepest du'as are like, you know, help me to change my behavior, right? Like if we have a bad habit that we want to change, like mm -hmm. we ask Allah to help us, like, you know, make it easy to change my behavior, right? Um, so I think they're interrelated. Too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a way to think about this is when you're making such a dua, 
like to wake up for fudger or whatever the case may be. Uh, trace the thoughts that you have exactly at that moment, because you might receive an answer exactly at that moment. And often it's going to be go to sleep early, right? And so whatever it is you're, wait, you're praying for, pay attention to your thoughts, because it may be literally that an angel has implanted that thought in you exactly in that moment, that you know is an answer, but you want Allah to give you something else, like a shot of cocaine. Spiritual cooking. I should tell you though, a funny story really quickly. During college, I really was having trouble waking up on time for Fajr. And I prayed so sincerely. I really wanted to just return to that habit. And I prayed to wake up at Fajr. And you would not believe the next morning, what woke me up was an earthworm falling from the plant that was hanging above my bed for months, right? Yeah, this plant had been inside my dorm. And yeah. Yeah, it was gross, but it woke me up and it worked. And I, I prayed the most, you know, the deepest, most sincere prayer. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Uh, let's see a couple of questions here. Uh, Zayn was asking, how do we condition ourselves to see the difficulties of Rahmah and, and answer toward the was rather than the opposite reaction? So this is a fantastic question because it's a very, very, it captures a very common sentiment that many people have. Half of it is you're choosing to see things in a particular way. So think of every moment of your life as 50% and 50%. Every moment of your life is something that happens. And then the other half of it is how do you interpret it? What is the meaning you give it? That's every moment of your life. And what happens, however, is we get into habits of thinking that whatever happens, you know, oh, I've gotten the struggle. Why does this always happen to me? Why does, you know, why does God never answer my prayers, right? That's a result of a series of choices that might have been taught to you, but they become your choices. And so 50% of this is actually just changing the meaning you give to what happens to you. Now, easier said than done. How do you do that? In moments of ease, that's when you got to change your neural pathways. And the starting point for all of that is the gratitude exercise is the increase of gratitude. And this, the details of the gratitude exercise that I usually give, I can give. But at the simplest point, it's dua in Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah 46, Ayah 15. In the simple translation is, my Lord guided me to be grateful for you have bestowed upon me and upon my parents and guided me to work each to your favor and know that I'm of those who submit to you in Islam. But think of how a gratitude journal operates add this dua to every entry, uh, entry, but I can give you a more specific tailor-made assignment too as well. Yeah, that worm image is going to stick in my head for a while. It's probably going to wake me up for pleasure too. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? And yeah, you all should uh, join Moise's campaign if you're in Chicago, if you're willing in any capacity. Moise is a very, very good guy. You know, mashallah. And, and it's going to be a great, great uh, all of them. Inshallah. Anyway, okay, very good. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Um, so, what is he running for? And uh, uh, Alderman of the 50th Ward, which is basically Westbridge, Devon, that whole area. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Moise Bawani. Oh, yeah. okay. Awesome. The dua is in Surah Al Ahqaf, uh, 46. 15. Uh, now, isn't Alderman like a 
congressman. I'm, you know, sort of like a congressman in the Chicago system. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. I I typed it. I sent it only to Austin. Let me send to everyone. Um, Okay. Let me. um, So Marwa, Dr. Marwa is also asking for me to send the gratitude assignment. Okay. Um, What time is it? Let me, someone remind me tomorrow, inshallah. uh, And I will post it here. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? So we are now at Monday. We have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, five more days left. What I'd like to do, if you're willing tomorrow, uh, at least for part of the class, is in the same way that Shala shared us her story about her worm, and then Asim, who shared his story about his wife's flight, um, share, if you're comfortable, these types of moments of your prayers getting answered, seeming to get answered. All of us have them more than we might realize. And those of you who've been my students for a long time have already heard from me saying that I forgot what age I realized that I feel like every single prayer that I've ever made has actually been answered. You know, I just didn't notice at the time. All right, so that is something I'd like us to consider doing for tomorrow. And otherwise we're going to finish the ayah and get to the next ayah. All righty, and then we're gonna spend the last day, maybe the last couple of days, putting everything we have, all the eyes we looked at together, inshallah, finishing off the month. Very fast month. Right, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta, May Allah tell reward you all, inshallah, and we'll see you inshallah tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.